Welcome to C-Suite Radio. Welcome to Mitchell Levy Presents AHA Moments. Mitchell is a thought leader, entrepreneur, and TEDx speaker who helps you think big and lead an authentic life. Each week, Mitchell gives leaders the inspiration they need to make a greater impact and share their genius with the world. Now, here's Mitchell Levy. Hi, this episode of Mitchell Levy Presents, we, uh, we pulled and curated from the Thought Leader Life series we've been doing. And this particular one was with Natalie Forrest. When Natalie had some great guests, Dr. Jeff McGee joins us for this particular session. Fast talking, Las Vegas based, really beautiful thoughts and ideas and, and approaches to, to helping you achieve your potential. It's worth looking and listening to this episode. I look forward to hearing your feedback. So please click the like button, share with your friends, and subscribe to our channel. Thanks. Bye now. Hi, Mitchell Levy, the AHA guy at AHA That. And welcome to episode 143 of Thought Leader Life. Got with me Natalie Forrest. And Natalie, you have done spectacular. We haven't finished... Oh, we haven't finished our last guy yet, you know, so we've got Dr. Jeff McGee. Uh, but, you know, so far you've done, I've looked at the guests and I've thought about them and they've been amazing, amazing people. Thank you so much. Well, you know how it is, the people you surround yourself with, right? And yeah. some of them I was able to reconnect with because of this, because they're all thought leaders and they have been inspirations to me. Oh, that is so cool. And so I want to welcome our last, and the expectation of bar is this high, and Jeff, based on looking at your profiles, based on what you're doing, based on the fact that on time for you is 10 minutes before the show starts, you're going to hit all the, all the bars. Jeff McGee, human capital de- developer and publisher of Professional Performance Magazine, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You guys have raised that bar, so now we have to get ourselves even more energized to get over it. Well, well, let me give you a quick lob. The show is focused on achieving your potential. What does that mean to you? Yeah, that's a great question because a lot of times achieving our potential, we calibrate that against what we believe other people's expectations are, uh, and that's the fastest way to actually fail. I think achieving your full potential really is based upon a lot of things. So, again, whether we're looking at this at a, at a younger mindset individual, K-12, or we're talking with someone who's in their – you know, adolescents, college age, or working adults like you, I, and probably a lot of the other viewers to this show today. So I would take my stab at it from a couple of angles. I think achieving your, you know, your, your true potential starts with what's your intellectual property? What makes you unique and what do you have? Because our intellectual properties are kind of conditioned and calibrated at a very early age. And then those things that are of excitement and interest to us, we tend to pursue that and grow more intellectual powers around those. So I think one, Achieving you know, your potential is going to be, are you really pulling upon the depths of your intellectual property? And are you sharing that in a way that benefits others? And because we're a capitalist system, if you can monetize that even better, I think that's one way. I think if you're achieving your potential at something, meaning you're doing something that is profound, that leaves a legacy, that if this was your last day on the planet, what's your body of work? Have you touched people? Have you touched humanity? Have you touched institutions in a way that you've left maps for others to be able to follow to raise their own level of performance and therefore their own potentials. I think that's another way of defining it. I think if individuals are contributing something meaningful, 
you know, you know, we're not Pharaoh. So when you and I die, they're not building a tomb and throwing all your crap in there with you. So, uh, you know, really, it might be a materialistic world we live in today. But, you know, when, when your number is called, it's all about credit is what I call it. So what's the credit you built up and which, you know, which direction are you going in your next life or afterlife? So that's a great question. I mean, are you living up to your full potential because of what you have, what you know, what you can share, how you can plus other people, how you make things better? And are you doing that in such a way that you're always challenging yourself to take yourself to the next level? Um, do, does anyone benchmark off of you or do you benchmark off of the whole planet? If you're benchmarking off the whole planet, then shut up, sit down. You're not, you're not really contributing. Someone benchmarks off of you. Now we have a conversation. So I could go on and on. That was only one question. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I love that you started out with, uh, with expectations versus potential because I think very often the expectations are actually was what, what, what get us into this, I don't know, the, this cycle of, of actually not achieving our potential. But you also mentioned in that first idea that expectations, potential, and you said, does it benefit others? And of course, the next question to that is, how do we know or what's the bar for benefiting others that we take I, into the tomb of the Pharaoh and all of that? No, I think there's a lot of them. So, so in, in, the, in the human capital development world, there are, there are a couple of models we use. In psychology, there's a couple of models we use. In any business, every business is built off of only a couple of models. So in your industry, you have to figure out what are those foundational building block models that you build success off of to actualize potential. And then once one understands those, which to be blunt is a very limited population, we have a world today that's full of charlatans and bullshit artists to be blunt. And we popularize those, we celebrate those, we get caught up in the rhetoric where everyone forgets what reality is. So once you understand the base models, then one way of knowing are we benefiting is it, are we contributing to those models and taking those, advancing those and making those better? That's one way. So one of the models we use in the world of HR and psychology, two places I play that have collided together, visualize a triangle. And if you visualize a triangle, inside that triangle would be a person's name. It would be Mitchell, Jeff, Natalie, whoever, a person's name. And there's three sides to that model that makes up who you are. So one of the vertical side is basically is going to be aptitude. So aptitude is knowledge, skill. It's your ability to, to learn academically or through the University of Hard Knocks. But it's knowing a mental map of how to do something. And then the second vertical side is going to be application. Just because you've learned it, do you really know how to do it? So there's the other one. There's a lot of people that have never signed in front of a check that want to give you all kinds of advice on how to run a business. And usually we elect them to government. We're trying to figure out why government's screwing up business. I just gave you a clue because application have never done it. So application. You know, again, we're little kids. We're taught how to tie our shoes. There's two strings on a shoe, only two strings, and there's only one way to tie your shoe. You might get creative when you're, you know, five years of age or whatever, and you might add extra strings to it, and you might do extra loops and et cetera, and tie it around your ankle and up through your nose and out your ear, whatever. But eventually, application-wise, you're going to realize that's a whole lot of extra work, and it's stupid. Go back to two strings, basically tie the shoe. Application. So once you learn it, that's the aptitude. Then you have to know how to do it, application. And those two are always, you're finding ways to improve. So that's another answer to how you know you're benefiting. But all of that's predicated and sits on the foundation of the triangle, which is attitude. You don't have the right desire, passion, motivation, work ethic, integrity, attitude. Then I can give you books all day long, which you're never going to read them. I mean, here's a classic book, Your Trajectory Code. It's a model that I've used for 30 years in business. 
listening to one of the executives in one of my client firms one day. She's sharing with me a story about how she uses this. That's application. A model I taught her, aptitude, that she's had great success in business with, attitude. And she realized, I have two teenage sons and one's about to go off on the wrong trajectory. I looked at this model and realized there's a personal application, application. I sat down with my husband, explained the model. We thought it would make sense. We sat down with our two boys. We explained the model. As a family, we came up with answers because the trajectory code's a V diagram. As a family, we came up with answers for letter C, one of the diagram arrows. We put that diagram on a piece of paper with a refrigerator and a magnet in the kitchen. It's changed every conversation in our house, and now all of our family's on the right trajectory for success, and I wanted to say thank you. There's attitude. So I just shared a story of how all three sides, whether it's in person, in business, for yourself, takes you. So how you benefit is by looking at those three, and do you make an environment conducive where people want to be around you? That's attitude. We talk about culture and environments and you know your tribe and all these buzzwords that everyone thinks is cute today, and it's nothing new. Just slap a new word on it. But if people don't understand how to do something, there's your aptitude. If they don't know how to do it and get a chance to do it, whether we're mentoring or coaching or helping people, application. So we could go round and round on this triangle. But those are the three sides. So how you know you're benefiting is I would take it right to this base model. They don't have to get magical. So, so, it's, so, so we had a preliminary discussion. I said, Jeff, listen, stories don't really work because you don't get aha messages out of stories. I think you're the first guy ever that I've actually heard a story that within that story, you had 10 aha messages. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Congratulations. I appreciate it. And that's what happens when your viewers tune into programs like this that highlight three real people in life with real resumes that have really done something instead of just trying to scam you to get money from you. So you too can in essence become rich by scamming someone else. You pop the air bubbles on a lot of the hot air out there on the internet. And this internet thing collapses down to about 10 people left to talk. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm not sure yeah. I go that far, but okay. Right. Okay. 11. <laughs> now I, I love, you know that I love your trajectory idea and you know, I tried to apply it. I have um, a, a little bit of a, of a different question. That's because I know some of the way that you present things. Um, I remember you talking about the rear view mirror. Could, could you tell us a little bit about that example of the rear view mirror? Love to. So yeah. for 30 years, this, this is a story that Natalie's referenced. I would use on stages, whether it was 30 people or 30,000 people um, at the beginning or ending of a keynote. And I've done this one for 30 years. So if anyone's ever heard of this from someone who's uh, under the age of 60, then they've hijacked a variation from hearing this when I've either written it or said it. So thank you, Natalie. So, so basically, this is the concept. So for the listeners and all of you where you're seated right now or if you're jogging and listening to this or you're driving a car, visualize wherever you are as if you are a time capsule. You are a, uh, basically a, a time machine. So wherever you are, that's present tense to speak to Natalie's question to set up this metaphor and story. So in, if you are a time machine, then looking in front of you, that's the windshield. Everything in front of you is this windshield of life, which represents future opportunities, what's out there. And if you think about any vehicle and you go into driving stationary mode, two hands on the wheel, well, if you take one hand off the wheel and you look at this, rear, this, this, this uh, windshield in front of you, there's a little item up here to the right-ish called the rear view mirror. It occupies a little bit of space in this windshield in front of you, and the windshield's everything in front of you that matters and its opportunities, and the rear view mirror is your reference point of what's behind you. Too late, it's gone, bye-bye. <laughs> but most people in life, the reason they never achieve their potential 
is because they fixate a disproportionate amount of time on that rear view mirror and they don't focus on the windshield in front of them. They always want to re-loop and bitch about something else. They want to Sorry, complain that about the, something. That was the money. I didn't, I didn't want to stop you, but that was the money answer. Yes. You got it. Just to slow you down a little bit, so many people just focus on the past. Yes. Okay, good. Sorry. So, no, absolutely. You can interrupt me anytime you want, Mitchell. This is, this is phenomenal, and I love hanging out with other successful people. So one hands on it will. So what I, what I ask people to do back to Natalie's question is, okay, what you want to do is you want to get a firm grip on that rear view mirror. So imagine you're in a room with 30 people, 300 people, 3,000 people, 30,000 people, and everyone's standing and energized as I'm sharing the story from the stage, and everyone's reached up and grabbing their rear view mirror off of the windshield of life, and I say, on three, rip it off and throw it out the window. And then one, two, three, everyone rips it toss it out the window, and then a little bit of a joke line. I go, hey, wait a minute, I never told you to roll down the window. So if you didn't roll down the window, then I guess it popped right back at you. Of course, if anyone had to crank the window down, then we need to get you a new job so you can get your paycheck back up. So a little <laughs> bit of laughter and fun, but then I bring people back to the focus. So now we still have an outside rear view mirror, so we're going to keep that one because you do occasionally need to look in the rear for memories, reference points, benchmark, lessons learned. But in front of you should only be the windshield of life so you see the opportunities which goes back to your previous two questions. If I know what I can actualize, if I know what my potential is because of my aptitude, knowledge, and skill set, and my application, things I've done and learned and, and been coached to do, and I have an attitude and work ethic to do those things, then I can see tons of opportunities in front of me, which are those aha moments. Anyone that understands the, the theme of this show, Thought Leader Life Show, and understands the theme of basically achieving your potential, or again, the things I talk about in Performance Magazine or Trajectory Code, you can get knocked down, but the aha is getting knocked down is an unexpected temporary vacation. Sit there for a second, take a deep breath, enjoy the view from down below, then stand up and move forward because most everyone never stands up and move forward. They stand up and turn to go do something else when they were one step away from success because we created a culture where what we actually celebrate, and it's going to piss some people off, but we celebrate losers. There should never be an award for second place or third place because no one's going to remember who won the Ness in silver and bronze. If you <laughs> only win gold, that's it. So actualizing your potential, achieving your potential is the gold medal mentality. And everyone can achieve gold medal if you know what your potential is and you're willing to do the work to get there. The problem is we have too many people that are used to things being handed to them by the government, by their mommies and daddies, by society, the neighbors, the church, businesses, etc. And very few people can really get off their butt and work. That's the cancer that kills aha moments. And I want to add something to that story because I, I love that story. Nowadays, most people put a GPS somewhere on that windshield as well. So what do you do with that GPS, that map that is supposed to get you? Is that your triangle? Is that something that society gives us? What is that GPS? Is that helping us achieve the potential or is it holding us back as well? The, the great question. If you use systems, processes, procedures, technology, if you use, uh, utilize and interact with people around you to accelerate your success so you can achieve greater potential, then GPSs, as a metaphor, as a concept, are perfect and we should use them. Problem. If you use a GPS as a crutch to just get to minimum effort, not only are you not achieving your potential, we should have a special spaceship at NASA where we can put you in the payload and eject you from the planet because your work is pathetic and you're not contributing to the planet. Dude, I There's love you. There's your problem. <laughs> Natalie okay. set that up. She knew I was going to go there. So if I've offended any of your listeners, that's okay because they're pathetic. 
no shrink gives you the tough love that you need. Now, if I've not made you mad, but I've got you thinking, that's why I say some of the things the way I say them, because I'm trying to get you to start moving forward. Potential is what's within you. Actualizing it is where the greatness comes from. And sitting there thinking about what I could have done, should have done, wished I would have done, doesn't help anyone. And then that goes back to that to clue, you know, you're not benefiting anyone when you realize all the things you could have done. Monday morning quarterback should not exist in your universe. So first GPS is anything that can accelerate your greatness at the GPS. Aha. Benchmarking off of other people's greatnesses so you can add to it and get to the next level. That's an aha. Uh, again, who's the best at what you want to do? And, and, and think of that name as your benchmark. There's another aha. Would they do this? Would they say this? Would they go here? Because if those are no's, then you shouldn't be doing it. Would they do it? Yes. How do I do it better? With my potential that they don't have. There's only one unique you on the planet that God put here, and that is you. To leave this planet and not having contributed is a waste of everyone and everything that you just were given. So the ahas are, what am I doing every second? It's exhausting of every minute. It's exhausting of every hour. It's exhausting of every day. It's exhausting of your life because no one has proof that when I get done talking, there's no proof I'm going to be alive or drop dead of a heart attack. So I want to make sure the things I do are pluses and not negatives. And if there's anything about what frustrates me the most is sometimes I put myself in places where I'm not able to actualize my potential because of and fill in the blank with lots of reasons that I have to eliminate. Am I so speaking to can, can I follow back up on that? Because part of, of what um, we also want to address is what limits our potential sometimes because of, let's say, uh, necessity. Okay. Um, so you just mentioned, you put yourself, sometimes you find yourself in situations where you go, Oh my God, why am I even here? And you know, and I think we've all had that, but are there sometimes situations where actualizing your greatness is actually slowed down because for example, you have to pay your bills, you have to go to a job or anything of that sort. Great question. So shameless commercial. Exactly. So there's 15 chapters in a book, 15 things we talk about, and, and you know the book, you've been to the program, but one of them is a concept called the fist factor. Fist is where do you get your internal mental power, strength, and energy from? So we use a fist because there's, a, again, a good reference point. Five fingers on your finger, on your hand. What we recognize in psychology is there's five life forces that influence who you are. So you have a life coach who doesn't talk about these five life forces. You need to demand your money back and hang up the phone because an idiot just got some certification and they call himself a coach when they have no clue what it is they're saying. So those five life forces are the direct answer to your question of what limits us. Number one, the number one limiting factor to actualizing and achieving your potential is yourself. Now, that's a whole another conversation. By recognizing that fist factor, so buy the book, read the chapter, that will tell you what influences yourself, and you can unbundle things. So, for example, uh, kindergarten. What one of the, the life influence forces on me was my first was my first grade teacher. Her name was Mrs. Murphy. So this is the real Mrs. Murphy, the Murphy's Law. Well, I spent two years with Mrs. Murphy, so that took me a long time to realize. If you spent two years with your first grade so teacher, you were kindergarten held back, and that's why you had two years. So. There you go. So it took me a long time to figure that out. I'm slow on math. Okay. But see, that's one of Natalie's answers because I'm not smart enough to go to second grade. They knew that. Jeffrey, you're stupid. You're staying here two years. Now, they might have said it differently to me, but that was the conversation I had with my parents. My parents responded, to those, you're right, Jeff's not bright enough to go to second grade, so let's hold him back so he can get calibrated to be successful. So that was Mrs. Murphy Law. She did it in such a constructive way. I didn't really process I was being held back until later in life. The problem that parents of schools do today is your kid's dumb. I'm sorry, call it like it is. 
but we don't hold the kid back. We push him to the next grade level. And then mid-year, we're all wondering why that kid has behavioral problems and acting up. This is too easy to figure out if we didn't have so many ignoramuses on the planet. The reason your kid's acting up is because they're deflecting attention away from the fact that they're stupid. So that's why they do these other things because no one's made it easy for them to say, I have no clue. Wow, let me help you then. And parents, parents have abdicated being parents today. In the 60s and 70s, when we actually graduated people with a brain, we had parents involved in schools, parent conferences, every parent showed up. You had, in essence, activities during the year, parents were involved. You had homeroom moms and dads and parties and et cetera. Parents were involved. When you came home from school within three questions, guaranteed every parent would ask a kid when they walked in the door tonight, one of the first three questions would be, do you have any homework? And if you said no, probably every parent said, I don't think so. You do have some. Where is it? They'd call the teacher. Why does my kid not have homework? Today, <laughs> it's the other way around. No one talks. I mean, parents, they play stupid. Oh, I didn't know my kid had missed school for four months. Are you serious? You both should be ejected from the planet. You're, you're wasting your gift of being alive. But we, we tolerate this stupidity, which comes back to, again, so number one is yourself. Your internal voices, people you say, <laughs> am I on track, Mitchell, or am I, or am I doing a more Dude, you're, you're bringing tears to my eyes. I'm crying so much. I'm trying to, I'm trying to hold it back, my laughter. <laughs> <laughs> so number one, Natalie's question is we compete against ourselves, no one else. That's the problem. See, when you think you're competing against someone else, you've already, you've already failed right. to be able to then clearly, objectively, logically find your potential and bring it to the game. So number one is yourself. Number two, then, is your peer. Who are the people you hang around? I mean, there's great books, you know, you know, Tuesdays with Maury. You know, if you were dead and you could have five people to dinner, who would you have? I mean, all those games we play, but it's your sphere of influence. Who do you associate with? You hang around losers. Don't be stunned when you get to the losing line. So, again, we need to clean up our communities. It's not the President of the United States' fault. It's not, in essence, Congress' fault. They own this later on down the road, but it starts with look in the freaking mirror, people. I mean, Baltimore has been imploding for 45 years as of the day we record this. It's nothing new in the last five, six, seven years or today or tomorrow. It's been imploding because its leadership as a city consistently historically sucks. I'm sorry. Call it like it is. Your state is bankrupt. Pick on any state, not just Maryland. Maryland's a great state in lots of other ways, so don't mishear my comments. But again, we have problems in politics, but no one holds anyone accountable. Before you hold the politician accountable, come back to you. You're the parent. Are you involved in your kid's life, your school's life, your neighborhood? What about the other parents? Do you guys, as parents, just step outside in front of your yard and just have a cup of coffee or soda and visit in the evening while your kids are playing at 7.30? And do you know your neighbors? In essence, and is there any religious elders in the neighborhood? And What about get them off their fat butts for a second? Are they involved in their neighborhood doing something? I mean, a lot of what I just said, the answers are no's to all of those, which goes back to what, why are we not successful? We don't have an infrastructure mentally or physically around us to support success, but everyone's busy pointing a finger as to why we're not successful. So the first things I would do in answering Natalie's questions, I just try to give a lot of quick examples and mental ahas am I doing this stuff, is before you worry about someone else, look in your own mirror. You, your family, your friends, your neighborhood, your town, your county, your state, this country, then we can go outside and take care of the other. But no one does that. So powerful question. Then we can compete against all the other forces of the universe. There's a lady right now as we're recording this. So again, some people may be viewing this sometime way in the future. So there's a young lady from the United States that's on the Hungarian um, ski team, and she's competing. And everyone is talking about how embarrassing she is and how she's embarrassing herself and how pathetic she is and, and the fact that, you know, she's not even going to be good enough to get last place of the last place because she can't do anything right. But the joke's on all of us, not her. She wanted to be an Olympian. So she was, wait a minute, I can be on the Hungarian ski team because they basically don't have one. And guess what? I now made it to the Olympics and you didn't. So guess what? You suck, I win. 
That's all attitude that said, you know, I'm going to try one of those aptitude and applications. So again, if you surround yourself with everyone who tells you you can't do anything, you'll never do anything. But if you surround yourself with people who say you can, then you can start to achieve your potential. Wow. Powerful, powerful question, Natalie. We can go on forever. I know you can. <laughs> and since I know you can, I want to switch it up a little bit. Because one of the things that I think a lot of people, especially women, I'm going to go there, um, but I know also some guys, have problems with is understanding that when we're trying to achieve our potential and when we're applying our aptitude and, and we have a certain attitude, there are some other things we need to do in order to have success, whether that is in our private or in our professional lives. And it's that big S word that a lot of people hesitate. Um, so how do I, for example, sell to my neighbors the fact that we all need to come together and, you know, raise the community? Or how to, do I sell to the other parents that they might want to ask their kids what they're doing? And a question. Field, how so, do I sell to others that I'm actually the expert and you're not? And so, that's a great question. So, so let's tackle that a lot of ways. Yeah, let me just say that for, for those, this is a beautiful question because one of the things that's important in life as we transition from this industrial age to this social age is the fact that the barriers, those, those silos that said, if you're in marketing, salespeople are horrible. If you're in manufacturing, you know, marketing sales don't do anything, right? It, what's interesting, as humans, we all need to be marketers. We market ourselves. We all need to be salespeople. We actually all need to be good, agile project managers. So, so I just thought I'd mention that because the sales orientation I'd love to hear about. It's brilliant. So growing up in sales, and it's a great question you posed, Natalie, and Mitchell and I were talking about this offline that, you know, when I work with business owners and corporate CEOs through my leadership work the last 30 years and programs and college textbooks I've written and courseware and et cetera, that, that the leaders that tend to be, and there's exceptions, but the norm of the leaders that tend to be the most successful are the ones that grew up in sales at some capacity. And if a leader never grew up in sales and they, and they recognize that and they therefore start to make themselves more aware of sales, which is the heart of your question, they become even better CEOs because you're always selling your message, your values, your vision, your culture, your, your ambitions, other people's aspirations. You can marry those with yours if you know where someone else is trying to go and you're wanting to go. And we can find a way to dovetail those together. We can go there together. So you're always selling relationships, communication, negotiation, mediation, arbitration, all of that is in the universe of sales. So with that said, um, let me back up a step. So one of the magazines I publish is called Performance. And we get phenomenal personalities every quarter to write for us. And we've done business interviews with people that have since passed away, and it's phenomenal. But I would go back to the late, great Zig Ziglar for our listeners and viewers today. And if you're not familiar with Zig Ziglar, you need to Google him. He's kind of the godfather of the past century of sales and motivation. And a lot of people that are new to the stage talking about self-affirmations and motivation, success, and et cetera, the more you know about Zig Ziglar, the more you'll start to realize that they're all robbing him and using his ideas, but Zig Ziglar. So Zig had, had a phenomenal concept, and I'm going to give you two answers to sell. One was, he said, think of it this way. When you're trying to communicate to someone in a way to get them to take action and become motivated to, to, to join in with you and embrace you, your ideas, what you want them to purchase or whatever. Think of it as if you're communicating to someone over a radio frequency. And every radio station has call letters. If you go to Sirius, satellite, cable, internet, every, you know, there, there's, a, there's a frequency upon which you find someone. 
So if you're listening to someone and you want to motivate them, then you've got to look at your messages. You're sending it to them and say, does this message resonate and play to them as if they were listening to me over the frequency of WIIFM? Now stay with me. This is not Jeff McGeeism. So every individual, so there's two ways to answer your question, Ali. So if you want to motivate an individual, then you look at your messaging and say, if I was a recipient of my message, would it resonate in my head to motivate me to take action as if I'm hearing it through W-I-I-F-M? And you both know the answer. So for our listeners, give me the answer. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Exactly. So, so if you look at an email you're about ready to hit send to your neighbor across the street, you want them to take action, go get a cup of coffee or a glass of water or whatever. Come back and reread as if you were them and say, if I read this, would it motivate me to take action or would it offend me or would it cause me to be passive aggressive and work against them? So there's one answer. Now, what I did was I look at this through another lens. So Pfizer Pharmaceutical was a client of mine for decades. I did leadership and sales work with them. And I would fly into New York City, and I had a, a group of trainers. We would fly into New York City. Every week we were in New York City, and we were you know, in, a, in, a, in a car service going up to Rybrook, New York, where at the time was our national learning facility, was at the Drow Arrowwood facility. And, and I remember after 9-11, because I was in New York City working with Pfizer on 9-11 when the World Trade Towers were attacked. And I remember that experience and going into shrink mode and, and in professional mode, and, and it took me days to get a flight to get out of there to get back to the Midwest where I lived. Well, for, for, for months after 9-11, I'd fly in LaGuardia, and I would do the, basically the 45-minute drive up to Rybrook, and I would stop counting at 1,000, because literally as fast as I could count to 1,000 was how many flags, American flags, I could see all over the place. But what was interesting, in less than one year, after 9-11, I'd fly into LaGuardia, I'd get in the town car service, and I could not even count to 100 the number of flags I would see between LaGuardia. See, people's attention spans are very short, but it's not fashionable to do something we give up, which goes back to actualizing and achieving your potential. People that achieve potential do the hard work when no one else is around and when no one else is willing to do it. They, they, they do a lot of hard work. The problem we have in our society today is that there's a long line of people envious of what someone else has, but I'm yet to see the line of people envious of the hard work it took to get there. There's your next aha, Mitchell. Mm -hmm. So that's the difference. So back to Zig Ziglar. So there's two radio stations if I want to motivate my neighbors and others to buy into something. So one is Zig Ziglar's WIIFM, which deals with individuals. So what I recognized about LaGuardia and the American flag and New York City, Ground Zero, etc., is that there's actually a second frequency by which we listen and we're motivated to do things. And so the second call letters are WIIFU. Now stay with me so you don't misinterpret this one. So if individuals are motivated by WIIFM, what's in it for me, then the other way you can look at how you communicate to others and your neighbors back to your question or the emails or the conversations or the social media, et cetera, is what's in it for us. When people see a what's in it for us, they'll come together. When they see a what's in it for me, they'll come together. At the time we're recording this, I'm going to do what I, don't, what I don't normally do, which I always try to keep my conversations very evergreen so they last forever. So I'm going to violate that rule and go specific. So at the time of this recording, we've just had another horrific mass shooting in the public schools in the United States. And, and these young kids, of which the majority of which are not old enough to vote, actually are on the tipping point of doing something that no adults have been able to do for the last 50 years if they stay focused. And that's this. See, 
the reason that a lot of things don't happen on any topic, and, and I am not anti-gun, so don't mistrust. I grew up on a farm. I believe in guns, uh, it's smart use of guns, gun safety, gun management. I don't think someone needs to have a freaking Gatlin gun in the back of their truck. You know, a little common sense would be good here, folks. Uh, I don't own a gun, but I don't want anyone else legally to not have one. So with that said, what's happened is that there's a lobbying group in D.C. for every topic, not just the NRA folks. And lobbyists, they own these congressmen and senators because they have played into their court because these congressmen think only old people vote, and therefore they're afraid of violating a lobbyist who has a bunch of money. And here's the game that these young kids have. These kids, a lot of them can't vote, and they're being misunderstood for a second. Because if they do start to get a whole bunch of other 17-year-olds mobilized, back to actualizing your potential, they're going to be able to mobilize their parents differently than anyone else has talked to their parents. There's a WIIFM and FU, double frequency. And that's going to motivate all of these people to say, I'm not going to worry about the president because the president can't do crap anyway. We just had eight years of Obama and a democratically held Congress folks on this topic. They did nothing. So if you want to deal with the issue, you do it at the state level. These kids are smart in Florida. Where did they just bust to this week as we're recording this? To their state capitol, where they all were actually civilized, where a lot of times adults could take a little lessons from these high school kids, although they weren't maybe dressed as best as I would like them to as adults. <laughs> adults sometimes yell and make an ass out of themselves. These kids were polite. They were respectful. They had a cogent conversation and, and, and communication signal. And so people are listening to that. You mobilize kids across the United States to go to their state leaders who can pass laws, and you're going to see a whole lot of things change. The reason it's never changed is because everyone is fixated on D.C., and that's the last place the conversation should be. So I just gave you multiple ahas. If you want to create change, it has to be FM and FU. If you want to create change, you have to go to the right audience in the right place. You have to give them a reason to want to listen to you, and you need to be civil in the discourse with an action plan to move forward. That's how you can start to actualize potentials in everybody. <laughs> oh, you still with yourself. <laughs> oh, hey, so Nally, we, we actually have hit our end. Oh, yes. Okay, I so know. I'm can you believe it? Like, no, I can't. Like, I, can't. Like, like, I hope it was worth everyone's time. No, no. So, oh, my God, Jeff, you're awesome. So, but here's what we I'll do. Nally, I'm going to ask you if you could do a summary of what you heard and how people could reach out to you. Jeff, what I'm going to ask you after Natalie's done is what question we should have asked you that we didn't. So this is the, you get a, a little bit of time to thinking about, God, what should I have really said? And, and I'll wrap up and then we'll finish. So Natalie, what do you think? What did, what did this, and you could summarize not just Jeff, although he's hard to do just by himself, but you could do the whole program if you want. Well, I think I got a number of things out of what Jeff said, which is, of course, why I sort of wanted him also to go last. Sorry, but, you know, last gets, I don't know. So um, the one thing that I think is really important is where you were saying the actualization of your potential comes from within you. And I think a lot of people forget that. Um, and you're not, and you're at the same time saying you need to have the systems in place. You need to have that support network. You need to learn. You need to something that Mitchell and I talk a lot about. You need to be vulnerable and say, I can't do this. I need help. I need to learn. And then that honesty and that integrity, if we're really trying to, uh, you know, actualize or achieve our potential, those are all key points. And 
you know, the integrity and, and the honesty to me are really crucial. And, and you highlighted those a number of times, um, whether it's with, you know, what's in it for me, what's in it for us. So always being you, being honest, I think is really crucial and not uh, giving away all of the responsibility, but taking it and admitting this is my job. I live here. So why don't I make a change right here and, and help the potential of my house I don't know, my neighborhood and so forth. I think that's, that's really, really crucial. Um, and of course, a trajectory, you know, that hangs on my wall too. Um, I think overall, Mitchell, I think we heard so many, so many ideas about how to reach the potential and it all comes back down to what I just sort of said, you know, Jeff also said, which is it starts with you, know your purpose, know your passion, and you had mentioned skill, so know what you're interested in, know that, and then takes the next step to potential, to, to potential and really make that happen. And part of your potential has to be sales, has to be connections, and has to be really the hard work that nobody envies and nobody realizes is there. Uh, and I think there are, there are a lot more people out there who are in the process of trying to figure out how to reach their potential, then we might actually realize. So I think that would be like my whole wrap up. Beautiful. And, and Natalie, how do people, that was a beautiful wrap up. And how, uh, how do people reach out to you? Well, same way as always, my website, natalieforest.com and anywhere on social media, Natalie Forrest. I'm pretty easy to find. And as yeah. I always say, I try to get back with you as soon as possible. I really do. Yes, you do. So, so Jeff, man, you're this, you're like this energizer bunny and you will round up and you just, man, go, go, go. So what question didn't we ask you that we should have, or how would you like to summarize what, what we talked about today? It's a great question. So, so one question I would offer is, is there a formula for success in whatever it is you're trying to do in life? And if there is a formula for success, then my answer would be yes. What I've recognized, you know, in my 53 short years on this planet and 30 years in business and 30 years of being self-employed, uh, every business I work with, whether it's Anheuser-Busch, Harley-Davidson, Boeing, NASA, Monsanto, John Deere, Farm Credit Services, the Army National Guard, the Air National Guard, you know, VacuWorks, you know, any client I've ever worked with, what I've recognized in every one of those businesses from Fortune 100 to businesses you maybe have never heard of that I just gave as an example. Every one of them, it comes down to there is a formula for success in what they do. And where I've had my success is going in and helping these businesses that a lot of times have never realized it's that simple. Identify what's the formula for every job, every position that makes the business overall profitable, successful, and serve a purpose. So as Natalie said a minute ago, people are going to want to come to you so you know you're benefiting them. And once you understand the ingredients to the formula of success in anything you're doing, then you know as a minimum what you have to do, non-negotiable, you can always add to it. And that is the one thing uh, that's missing. So as a performance um, psychologist, as a human capital developer, you know, people want to check out more what I have to offer at jeffreymcgee.com, not Jeff McGee, but jeffreymcgee.com. Um, they can see those elements. But one of those final pieces to your question as an answer is one of the elements I've created is a model called the player capability index model. 
And the player capability index model is my macro answer to your question that it is the success formula for a human being on this planet, period, no matter what you're doing. From looking for the Shaquille O'Neal's to Tiger Woods to Oprah Winfrey's to, you know, um, Joan Rivers to the last couple of presidents, phenomenal people that write for my magazine on a regular basis. Studying all of them, I've realized that this player capability index model is exactly how you dissect them to be able to decode them to see what the code is for success. So everything has a formula. And if you want to be successful, you must figure out the formula and then you must be willing to do it. Hmm. Ah, gives me chills. Yes. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you, guys. thank oh. you, Natalie, very much for remembering me. Of course. <laughs> uh, but this was, this was beautiful. A nice, a nice wrap up. And I think, I think my bigger takeaway from this is we, in terms of achieving our potential, I, I think one of the things that, first of all, I, we've all heard of WI, we always say WIFM, we skip the two I's, but I don't think I've heard of the WIFU before. Thank you. I'm adding that to the culture. And I like that one. It's, it's it's actually kind of what you started when you when, bring people when together. Oh, that's what you said to me. Mitchell, how can I serve you? How can we make this a good show? Right? You're you not only know it, but you ask it. You not only know it, you ask it, and you implement it. Right? So that's perfect. The other thing that was relevant, very relevant for me, is we often think about people reaching their potential of what they're actually doing in this life, and what you alluded to is what tool sets, what framework, what infrastructure, what capabilities are we putting in place for tomorrow's lives, for the people going forward? And legacy, baby. It's all about yeah, legacy. It's all about legacy. And that was pretty cool to, to tie that into what we're doing. Thank you. Because that's what it's about. I mean, if you're a good parent, it will show in your children and grandchildren. Your children and grandchildren suck. And there are some exceptions. But as a norm, <laughs> your kids or your grandkids suck. Go find a mirror. You created it. So enjoy the nightmare you gave to the world. <laughs> That's simple. Man, it's hard not to love you, Jeff. It's, it's a love-hate, man. It's like, how? <laughs> Anyhow, guys, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you, guys. Be, thank you uh, uh, for watching and listening. Yeah, this one's pretty cool. You probably have to watch it in slow motion, though. But um, – this one's great. Reach me on, uh, just Google Mitchell Levy, connect to me on social. I am happy to communicate, respond, hear from you. I am so looking forward to this book on achieving your potential and then rolling out the episodes over time because I've heard from my audience how much they've loved the guests that you've brought on, Natalie, and, and Jeff is are no exception. Thank you. So, hey, guys, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you at the next episode of Thought Leader Life. This is Mitchell Levy, the AHA guy from AHA That. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thought Leader Life, where I'm joined by one of our thought leadership co-hosts to create compelling thought leadership that will propel their status in their industry. To learn more about Thought Leader Life, go to thoughtleaderlife.com. And to learn more about creating and sharing your aha moments, go to ahathat.com slash author, where you can also find a link to book a strategy call. You've been listening to C-Suite Radio. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.